I thank you, Tim, for that uh, prayer supplication. I appreciate everybody's participating and helping us in our worship experience. I have a deep uh, appreciation for Sister Amy on the, uh, every Sunday, but especially this Sunday. Um, some of you may know that she had a little bit of an accident in closing the truck door on her thumb. And you know, um, when you play the piano as eloquently as she is, uh, I can't imagine with a sore thumb doing that, but Amy did great, and praise the Lord. Uh, I told her earlier, I, I knew we should have had her hands insured. Uh, it might still look into a policy on that, but, uh, <laughs> but we appreciate you, Amy, and your gift and what it means to us in our worship experience. And let me just remind the church family, you know, we have our precious little sister, Jennifer, who's traveling from the U.S., making her way to India where she will be uh, wedded uh, on May the 9th. Um, and that's a long journey, and I think she flew out of New York, uh, her last point of uh, departure, and, and so, uh, so she's flying today. So as you think about her, lift her up in prayer, that things will go well for her in her flight, and then her um, interview with, for the visa that she's uh, applying for, I guess, or renewing, and then, of course, the wedding, and all that goes along with that. So I know she'll appreciate all of our prayers. And we miss her being here with us. In your Bibles, I'll ask that you turn in your Bible to 1 John, where we'll pick up in the series of messages that uh, the Lord has been leading me to bring to you, to the early church, but also, I believe, biblical truths and principles that certainly apply to the 21st century church. And many of the things that John is saying to these early believers, he's also saying to us. And so we're going to focus our attention this morning on 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. And so I'll uh, ask you, if, uh, as you look at your copy of God's Word, I'll read uh, those verses and you read along with me. Uh, beginning in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and, it, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. I remember the first time hearing Richard Owen Roberts uh, a wonderful speaker, preacher, 
typically on the subjects of revival, spiritual awakening, the end times. And um, we were at a conference, a prayer conference for the North Carolina Baptist State Convention prayer conference. And I was, Wendy, you're probably there because I know you attend these as well. But this is the first time I'd heard uh, Brother Roberts. And I was sitting not far from the front. And I noticed that before the service actually got going, you know, a lot of folks were milling around and greeting and talking. And there was this frail-looking, elderly, white-haired, stooped-over gentleman that was just kind of sitting up there on the front pew and just reading his Bible. And I thought, well, you know, it's nice that an old man like that can make his way to this conference, and I hope he gets a blessing. And it wasn't long after that that the, the moderator of the conference introduced Dr. Uh, Owen Roberts. And I was shocked when this frail, white-haired, stooped-over old man began to get up off of his pew. And I'm thinking, is that our preacher? And he began to make his way very carefully and meticulously up those steps, about this many, to the stage. And I was thinking, somebody ought to be helping him up there. <laughs> I was feeling sorry for him. I'll never forget, and Wendy, you may have had the same impression, but I'll never forget. When he stood in the pulpit that day, it was as if there was a, an anointing of the Spirit of God upon that small, about my stature, fellow, as he stood behind that pulpit with that worn out Bible that he handled almost like a scroll in his hand. And boy, oh boy, did he evermore preach. I mean, he preached for what appeared to be a solid hour and not that and a lash. I mean, he was filled with the Spirit. I've never heard such powerful, soul-wrenching, convicting preaching in my life. I mean, we were all riveted. And I'll never forget because he was preaching on the judgment of God and the great need for spiritual awakening in our nation and the consequences that lay ahead for our country and for people who are living without Christ. And I'll never forget, he came down those steps and, and I, of course, at that time, I didn't worry about him. And he's holding that flappy old Bible that's been worn out, you can tell. And he's talking about the nearness of the coming of Christ and the judgment of God. And as if fire were in his eyes as he stood there looking out at us and he locked his gaze on us and he pointed that long, bony finger and he says, it's not too late. But it's very, very, very late. And as I read 1 John chapter 2, as we read it together, John seems to be offering a warning. It's getting late. It's getting late. In verse 18, John is issuing a sobering warning to the church, to the Christians of that day. He speaks in a fond way to those who are little children. And I elaborated on that in a previous message. 
It's a term of endearment that John likes to refer to Christians. All Christians are little children. We're all God's children, but he uses the Greek term here, padia, which speaks of those who are young in the faith, maybe uh, more immature in the faith, who would be more vulnerable to the false teachings that are running rampant in that day. And so he's warning them that there is, he says, little children, it is the last hour. And brothers and sisters, we are living in a time period, an era, an era that is the inter-advent era. I'll borrow that from Pastor Mark's nifty chart that he put into his outline Sunday before last. God bless you, brother. And it, it, and it showed us in that chart the, the different uh, uh, eschatological perspectives of the coming of Christ. The amillennial and the postmillennial and the premillennial. And it demonstrated the rapture. But it also showed that inter-advent era in which we are right now. I'll give a warning to the Buildings and Grounds Committee. I have to confess that even as I was thinking about that chart, God bless you, brother. I was thinking maybe we could maybe redesign the stained glass windows and on the right side have amillennial and on the left side have symbolism of premillennial, I mean uh, postmillennial, but in the middle in the big one, uh, premillennial and maybe a, a neon arrow going up that shows the rapture. But we'll get this chapel done first. The ominous emergence of Antichrist, John is one, and he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist, and I'm, I'm looking at my New King James translation, which capitalizes in, uh, that Antichrist, the first one, and you'll notice that it is singular, and then it goes on and says, is coming, the Antichrist is coming, even now, he's speaking present tense. Notice this. The first one is singular, and, and, and he's talking future. Second one, even now, many antichrists, and it's a small a there, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And so John is given a warning. He says, we are living in this last time period prior to the coming of Christ, his second coming, known as the inter-advent era, the church age, the last hour, as John is saying. And he says, we know it's the last hour because all around us, the church is being permeated by these false witnesses. Antichrist. And it's interesting because when you look at that word in the Greek, antichrist, it can be looked at and interpreted two ways. Anti, the, the prefix can be understood as being against or in the place of. Against or in the place of Christ. And in the present tense of which John is speaking with all the plural antichrist, the numbers of heretical teachers, we talked about the Gnostics and the Docetists, those who had unbiblical concepts of Christ and denied his humanity, denied his deity, and, and, and so there are many of those false prophets and teachers that have already penetrated the church and certainly are infiltrating the church of today. So we're dealing with 
Antichrist with all the cults and false teachings around us today. But, but the singular reference to the future Antichrist that's capitalized in my translation, those in John's time who understood prophecy and had read Daniel chapter 7 and, and 8 and, and 9, who had read Zechariah chapter 11 verses 16 through 17, or maybe I had the benefit of reading even the second letter of Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. They, that, that speaks of an individual, a, a satanically empowered, charismatic, extremely intelligent world leader that will be energized by Satan himself during the tribulation, this is after the church has been removed from the presence of the world and God is beginning to pour out his wrath upon the world. But, but John is even alluding to this future, highly powerful, charismatic, intelligent leader who will mislead. He will, he will instead of just being against Christ, he will, remember the prefix, be in the place of Christ. It's as if Satan will put into position an awesome charismatic leader to absolutely dupe the world that he is the Messiah. So John is saying, be on the alert. These things are happening now. We find the Antichrist referred to also in Revelation chapter 6 and 19 through the vision of John in that great revelation that we have there. But not just the presence. Look what he says there as he goes on. In verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Another distinction that John is given of these false prophets, false teachers, and false religions, if you will, is that false believers are in the church. Get this now. False believers are in the church. But they're not of the body of Christ. So you see, they had infiltrated the fellowship of those early churches and acted like Baptists. I'm just using that generically. And they talked like Baptists and they ate like Baptists and they sang the songs like Baptists. But then all of a sudden they began to insert teachings that did not jive with the teachings of the Word of God and more specifically of Jesus Christ. And suddenly you could pick out the ones. And, and so they began to try to lure the people away from true teachings from the scriptures and away from true biblical Christianity to some other form of Christianity. And the younger believers, the little children in the faith, many of them would follow them. They didn't come to stay and build up the church. These false teachers, these heretical leaders weren't there to, for the benefit of making the church solid and, and unified and glorifying God. All they wanted to do was come in and create division and to destroy the church and to take the weak-minded with them who didn't know the Word of God. And John is saying they were with us, but then they left. And when they left, that demonstrated 
that they were not of us in the first place because had they been true, faithful believers, they would have stuck in here and would have submitted to the authoritative teaching of the Word of God. You know, I hope that um, if you were not here a couple Friday nights ago for the secret church, Dr. David Platt teaching at the speed of a machine gun for five or six hours, but my goodness, what a powerful teaching that session was that Friday night on the subject of false religions, cults, and counterfeit uh, religions. And, and, and how he, he walked us through, first of all, what is authentic Christianity? Folks, you've got to understand, what does the real deal look like before you can identify the false, the counterfeits? It's interesting, he used a $20 bill and he showed several characteristics that the experts look for in that $20 bill. Uh, I think the watermark on, on that $20 bill, the, the changes of the coloration in one of the seals, if you hold it at different angles of the light, uh, the, the beginning of the numbers, ending of the number. I mean, there were set about four or five characteristics that experts look at. Me, you wave a 20 in my face, I thank you. I don't hold it up to the light. I don't wave a wand. <laughs> but, but to understand, to, to identify the counterfeit, you've got to know what the real looks like. So we learned that night about the authenticity of real Christianity. But then he began to delve into the teachings of these other religious groups out there that, that call themselves under being under the umbrella of Christianity loosely. Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, the prosperity gospel, liberal Christianity. Uh, listen, there's a lot. And, and listen, there are a lot of well-meaning, well-intending Christians who are being duped, blinded, deceived, and misled, thinking that they are practicing Christianity when all, of, all along they're following what amounts to Antichrist, as John describes them, or false teachers or false prophets. Not only that, we know that as we look here, verse 21, 22 and 23, because John calls them liars. In verse 22, he says, Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father. Listen, you can't have one without the other. Don't show up at my door telling me that you have the, uh, the, the, the true faith, that you worship the true God, and His name just happens to be Jehovah, but you're going to deny that Jesus Christ is His only begotten Son? John says He's a liar. You can't have one without the other. There's no separating the, the God the Father, God the Son, and for that matter, God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. And they denied that Jesus was born of a virgin. They denied the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. They deny that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And John is warning. What a contrast. What a contrast for those who would dare to suggest that somehow Jesus was just a human being who was overtaken by some heavenly spirit at the time of his baptism and then the spirit left him 
when he was on the cross. How dare them suggest such a flimsy proposition about the Son of God. Compare and contrast their idea of Jesus against that of the, uh, Simon Peter there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, and who do people say that I am? Oh, well, they say, they say some people say that you're Elijah and some John the ba Baptist or some other prophet. But Jesus turned on them and said, but who do you say that I am? Just like that, the apostle Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my friend. That came directly from the throne of God. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? God help you if he's just some gifted teacher and rabbi 2,000 years ago who had a good notion about social transformation. He's infinitely more than that. And that's what the scripture teaches. So John is issuing a sobering warning to the church, not just back 2,000 years ago in the first century, but he's giving that warning to Christians and churches in our 21st century. But let's move on as we look at this portion of John's letter. And I want to talk to you about an abiding promise for the church. An abiding promise for the church. Focusing our attention on verse 24. John says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And then if you look at verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. When John uses that word abide there, it's, it's a Greek word that talks about the continual remaining of something. Something that continually is a part and remains. And John is saying the truth of Christ Jesus and the gospel what you learned when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ about who Jesus is, going all the way back to the day he was born or the night in that stable in Bethlehem as a human being who was the Son of God and, and though he was tempted, never sinned and worked great miracles and preached powerful authoritative messages about the kingdom of God that people had never heard before, and at the time that was appointed by God, he died on a cross and gave his life as the Son of God, as the precious Lamb of God, paying the price for the redemption of the sins of all who had put their faith and trust in him. He was buried in a tomb, and hallelujah, on the third day, he rose victorious by the power and the glory of God. He says, that which you have heard from the beginning... John says, let it abide in you. Let it abide in you. He says in verse 24, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son. And we do. And in the Father. The truth of Christ Jesus and the gospel based on the truth of His incarnation, His full humanity, His full deity. And it's secured for us by our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
This is so neat. I have to show you this. The Apostle Paul kind of brings it out in Philippians in chapter 3. But I love this imagery. When, when, you, when we were singing at, prior to our Christian growth group, love lifted me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. And you know, it talks about He lifted me. Lifted me out of the sea of sin. You, you understand that when we are humble, broken, depraved, hopeless, helpless sinner, realize there is no way for us to rid ourselves of the penalty of sin. And we cry out with confession. Oh Lord, I'm a sinner. I realize that I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to rid myself of the penalty of sin. But I believe that you are the Christ. You are Jesus, the Son of God. You died for my sins. I believe in you, Lord. I trust in you for my salvation. He reaches down, or as we say back in Roxburgh in the country, he wretched down. And Paul talked about that. He got a hold of us. Paul says, not in verse 12 of chapter 3 of Philippians, he says there in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold on me. Anybody here this morning glad that the Lord has got a hold on you? Praise God. I'm glad he's, got, he's reached down and he heard my plea and he laid his powerful, divine, sovereign hand upon my soul and he raised me up out of the darkness of sin and the clutches of the devil. One of my best pictures of Asher and Mimi sits on my dresser. He was just a little tiny tot then and he had already wrapped her several times around his little finger. Ashley, you're not supposed to hear this, but he's, she's holding him. He's like a little spider monkey because he can tell me you're in a crowd. And he doesn't want anybody else to get him from Mimi. And he, she's got him. There's nothing you couldn't tear him away from her. Oh, take a team of wild horses. But let me tell you something. Not only does she have a hold on him, but he's got a hold on her. <laughs> he's not about to let anybody separate him from his Mimi. Listen, God, Christ, has a hold on us. We're secure knowing that. And Paul says there in verse 12, he says, I lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Jesus grabbing a hold of us is justification. It's salvation. But you know what sanctification is? It's us holding on to him. By practicing our faith, by demonstrating our godliness, by reading and studying the word of God. When we're worshiping him, when we're serving him, when we're sharing Christ with others. Listen, you are growing and maturing in Christ. It demonstrates that you've got your arm around him too. We abide in him. And what a beautiful image. Not only the, the truth of Christ in the gospel, but also the assurance of eternal life. That's a big deal. There's a lot of people out there going through life 
They're, they're scrambling, they're desperate, they're searching, they're looking, they're trying. They're going from one thing to another thing, from one fad to another fad, from one drug to another drug, or from one social life to another, to, to somehow assure themselves. And even from one religion to another religion to another, they're searching because everybody wants that assurance that when they die, they will live beyond death. Well, guess what? We have that assurance. It's ours in Christ. And that's what John is saying right here. He says, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Is that reminiscent of something that maybe you've heard Jesus say? Or more specifically, Jesus pray? Do you remember back in John's Gospel in chapter 17? When Jesus is praying to the Father, folks, you got, if you've not studied and meditated and, 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 and just poured over and worshiped over this prayer, you need to. You're missing the most beautiful prayer in the Bible. This is the Lord's Prayer. He's talking to the Father, but He's talking about us. This is just a portion of it. In John 17, verse 20, he says, I do not pray, pray for these, talking about his original 12 alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Listen to what he says in verse 21. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see what John is saying there? You want, you want evidence? You want reassurance that you're a child of God? That, that you have eternal life? Try this on. When you prayed to receive Jesus Christ and opened up your heart, His Holy Spirit certainly did come to abide in you. And that's what it means when Paul talks about it in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet Christ lives in me. But guess what? We're in Him. And He's in the Father. You don't get any more oneness than that. There's no separating the child of God from the divine presence of God and the power of God and the promises of God that goes with you everywhere you go. Even through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. Hallelujah. And that's what John is giving reassurance. He said, no matter what these false teachers and prophets and, and, and religions are trying to tell you out there, he says, you hang on to the promise that you have, the assurance of eternal life. Look at verse 25, and he says, and this is the promise that he has promised us. Can I just pause there for just a second and ask you, has God ever broken a promise? In all, the, in all the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, has, has Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, ever broken a promise? No siree. Will He? No siree. He can't because He's truth. Praise God. And this is a promise. And He said the promise is eternal life. I don't know about you. You know, when... When you attend a funeral service or go to a graveside service, what you understand and know about that person can shape the whole mood of that service. If it's somebody that's lived a shady life and hit and miss and or maybe never had time for the Lord and church and 
Even though they're a good person and maybe they were generous. But if there's no evidence in that person's life that they followed Christ and were committed to the Lord and served Him, I guarantee you, I don't care how people act comforted there in the back of their minds, they're wondering. I just wonder. Is he there? There. In contrast, when you attend a life celebration of a dear saint to the Lord, you understand why the psalm says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of a saint. Because let me tell you something, it ain't the end, it is the beginning. Oh, listen, you don't feel sorry for that person because hallelujah, they have been graduated and, and they have been situated and they are in the presence of the Lord and absolutely healed. They're seeing things we can't even imagine. They're experiencing things that our poor bodies and emotions can't even begin. And listen, they're filled with the joy of being in the presence of the Lord. It's altogether different because you know that you know that they know that they had eternal life because they were in Christ. What about you? What about you? Do you have that assurance? Later we'll see in chapter 5 in 1 John, John will say, he, those who have the Son have life. Those who do not have the Son of God do not have eternal life. And in that next verse, in verse 13 of chapter 5, John will go on to say, These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue believing in the name of the Son of God. Oh, listen, let me tell you something. As you look at verse 25, that galvanizes it for you and me against all the lies of the, of, of, of the false teachers and the false religions and counterfeit gospels that are out there that would somehow want to convince you that you, if you don't do the right works, that you won't measure up and you won't be saved. Or even if you were saved and you mess up, you'll lose your salvation. Folks, those are lies. You can't support that from the teachings of the Word of God. And John is saying, if you are in Christ, not only are you in Christ, you are in God the Father, and they're like super glue, and you're right there in the midst. There's no separating the Trinity, and there's no separating God's people from the Lord. Amen? What a wonderful assurance. So we move on. Look at a reassuring provision for the church. Not only do we have a sobering warning for the church, an abiding promise for the church. We have a reassuring provision for the church. We see this reflected in verse 20, verse 21. As you look at this, John says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Notice it's capitalized. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And you know all things. Now let me just stop and give a little footnote. That does not qualify you as a know-it-all. Okay, so please don't go out of here arrogantly with your nose in the air and say, wait, preacher told me, I know everything. Well, you know everything in respect to the things of God. Everything He wants you to know. In verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Remember, he's writing to little children. These are not the young men who are more mature doctrinally and and, and do battle with the devil and, and, and a win in spiritual warfare. These are not the old men that we, we learned earlier who, and, and, and women 
who have walked a long time with the Lord then have a close intimate relationship and just know the Lord as good as they know you know the best friend even better no 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 we're, we're talking about those who are kind of new in the faith and they need to be reassured and so John is saying listen you don't need you don't need every Tom Dick and Harry that's coming around out there that's got a banner and a crusade and saying come we found a new wave of Christianity a new way you can be healthy and wealthy just come and try us out oh no no John says it's it's not that I'm writing to you as if you don't have the truth he said you've got the truth and brothers and sisters you don't need to search beyond the Word of God for truth. Now, it's good to have Bible dictionaries. It's good to have other study helps, commentaries and things. I need those to help expand and expound the Word of God so that I understand it better. But let me tell you something. There is no other source of eternal truth in the world. Never has been, never will be. I don't, know what, I don't care what so-called prophet says he heard from some strange angel on golden tablets or what have you, ladies and gentlemen, if it's not in the holy writ, as my granddaddy would say, it ain't the truth. You've got the truth. The problem is not that God's people are deprived of the truth. The problem is God's people are not diligently learning the truth and applying the truth. John says, little children, you've, you, I don't write to you as if you don't have the truth. You, you've got the truth. And he says that no lie is of the truth. None of these false schemes, he says, is any representation of the truth. So what is this powerful, wonderful, reassurance provision that we have of the church? Jesus taught about it. Hold your finger there and go back to the gospel of John. And you recall when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for his inevitable departure. And he wants them to know he is not going to leave them defenseless, clueless, and without help. So in John chapter 14, you may recall in verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be, future tense, Pentecost hasn't happened yet, but one day he will be in you. I love verse 18. You know, my heart breaks for these children who are orphans in some of these countries and have nobody that really, you know, takes ownership of them and looks after them and cares for them. It must be a horrible thing to be an orphan. I thank God for Christian moms and dads who see it in their heart to, you know, sacrifice to adopt one of these orphans into their home and heart. But aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just die, buried, resurrected, and ascend into heaven and said, good luck, y'all. <laughs> Catch you in heaven. <laughs> Here's a reassuring verse. Some of y'all are thinking, what is he talking about? I will not leave you orphans. Jesus says, I won't leave you alone. 
I'm coming back. But I'm coming back in a way that every one of you can benefit from my presence. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then if you drop down there in chapter 14 of John, Jesus is, is talking about, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So how do they do that? By the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, when John is talking here in these passages in, in verse 20 um, and 21, he's, he's saying <clears throat> that we have the truth. It's, it's, you know, it's in us. We have, we have that anointing. He says in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Now drop down to verse 27. Let's pick up on that very talk about the anointing. But the anointing which you have received, past tense, from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. What's John saying? Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that. That you know, when he says there, you do not need that anyone teach you. He's not in any way implying that as the Christians and as the church, we don't need Bible teachers, Bible preachers. Because that would be going in contrast and contrary to what Paul ta taught in, in, and wrote in Ephesians 4.11 when he says, Christ gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors, teachers. The church needs teachers. To help the members to grow. That they may be engaged in the ministry. So John is not saying that. But keep it in perspective. Keep it into context. He's saying that all of these flashy, you know, newfangled, new age, teachers, heretics, short up on the scene and said, oh, you got to try ours. You got to try this way. You got to try this brand of Christianity. You know what? That makes me... That makes me think about an old song we used to sing back in that little country church where I was and just a bunch of farmers and their families. And, then, you know, one of our favorite songs was Give Me That Old Time Religion. How, now, who would confess to having know, know that song? Anybody know that song? There you go. Get your hands up, country people. Yeah. Give me that old time religion. Give it, man, we would get to hollering and singing, you know. It's good enough for grandma. It's good enough for grandma. It's good enough for me. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> There's some truth in that song. We don't need newfangled Christianity. We need to go back to the basics of biblical Christianity. This is what we need and God has given it to us in the Word and He's given it to us by His Holy Spirit and God's Spirit of truth is the antithesis of Antichrist's lies. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. We find that in the writings of Paul. Take, for instance, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My goodness, did you ever realize that's what the Holy Spirit does? He shines into your darkened, sin-darkened hearts the glory of God, the truth of God, the wonderful, splendid things of God. Like a beacon light into our hearts, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Whereas the Antichrist and false 
heretical teachers are bringing darkness into your life. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 9, listen to what the Apostle Paul and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. He says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Whew, put your mind around that. That Holy Spirit who dwells in you knows everything, everything about God. You'll never lack for those things that you need to know about God because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And He constantly is revealing the glorious mysteries of God. One of the dangers for God's people is we get distracted. I was not a good learner in school. I'm glad Jan's not here because I had her fool thinking I was a scholar but no I didn't I really didn't learning did not come easy for me so if you got students here who are struggling and I don't mean lazy I mean just if you are trying your best and it's not coming easy preacher Charlie's in that category I, I just would be trying to focus on geometry you know just learn those little mind boggling twisting agonizing theories that didn't make sense Jessica's looks I got some of those. <laughs> One spring day, the teacher came by my desk. Now, mind you, I'm in the class with all my student friends. Slammed her hand down on my desk, and she said, Charlie Martin, are you in love? <laughs> what am I going to say? Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> She said, you're so distracted. I tell by your work. You're not thinking. You're not. You're... And I said, amen. Amen. That's me. That's me. So, so where was I going with this? God's people. We get distracted. It's not that we don't have the truth. It's not that the Holy Spirit is not trying to impart to us the wonderful, glorious, eternal truths and realities of God's word. But we're just distracted. What's on TV tonight? You know, oh, let me check my emails. Facebook, you know. Hey, look. Social media, electronic devices, that's fine. But don't ever let them get between you and your hunger for the things of God. You've got a Holy Spirit who is revealing all these wonderful things. Well, I've got to wrap it up, folks. God's people have immediate and complete access to the truth in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ we know Him fully. Everything we need to know about God in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you realize what that does? When we abide in the truth, when we live in the truth, then we don't give the false religions and the cults a toehold in your life. Now I know, some of y'all looking at me strange again. He's using one of them country expressions again. If you ever climb a big tree, that there's no limbs to jump up and grab. We'd always say, look for a toehold. Tommy, you probably had climbed a tree, hadn't you? And, you know, we're barefoot, didn't have shoes. You, know, you, you look for some place you can wedge your toe in there, but you better have a strong toe. But that, you can't get up that tree if you don't have a toehold. Let me tell you something. Don't give the devil's deceptive teachers and heretical liars a toehold in your life. 
When they try to climb up your life to take hold and build strongholds in your life, they find there's no place to latch on because you're polished with the truth. There's no place that they can make a dent in your life. And that's the assurance. Truth. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, He says to those Jews that were following Him, He says, if you remain in Me, then are you My disciples indeed, and you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. A lot of the entrapments of this world that are built on nothing more than man and the devil's lies are capturing God's people, entangling God's people, hindering God's people, and preventing God's people from being the followers of Christ He's called us to be. Ambassadors for Christ. Get in the truth. Remain in the truth. And Jesus says, it will make you free. And I don't know about you, I want to be free. Amen?